listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. Well, today we're jumping back into our sermon series on 1 John, which we kind of took a pause on during the Advent season, and we're picking up right where we left off, which is going to be chapter 4 of 1 John. Uh, If you're joining us for the first time in this series, don't fear. 1 John, the way that it's written, uh, you don't necessarily have to know every little detail of what came beforehand to, to know where we're at because it's more of a sermon than a letter, really. And the way John structures it is he kind of hits on some of these same themes over and over and over again. So maybe you miss it the first time. He's going to come back to it. He always does. So John speaks about these really stark contrasts, love and hate, light versus darkness, truth versus falsehood. So if this is your first time here, um, you're going to be able to jump right in with us. And today we're talking about false teachers in the church. Who are they? How do we identify them? What's the danger in following them? John's going to tell us how to essentially discern a truth from a lie. He's going to help us to spot a fake. So 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, I'll ask you to rise this morning for the reading of God's Word. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me, otherwise it will be displayed on the screen for you. 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we need your word to speak to us today. We confess how easily swayed we are and that at times we can be susceptible. So I pray that you would fortify us this morning with your instruction. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You can grab a seat. Friends, I don't have to tell you that we live in a culture, we live in a world where the word truth carries less and less value each year, especially capital T, truth. Instead, it's a lot more popular to talk about me telling you my truth, or or you telling me your truth. In 2016, Oxford Dictionaries, they do this every year, they they name a word of the year, 
And in 2016, their word of the year was post-truth which is an adjective defined as relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. The world we live in right now is a post-truth culture. In a world like that, it's increasingly difficult to distinguish truth from lies. Now, another reason that it's so hard to discern truth from falsehood is just the human heart. Like, we are really, really bad lie detectors. Research bears this out. Uh, researchers list a surprising 102 possible nonverbal cues that are alleged to expose a liar. The most prominent ones are averted gaze, blinking, talking louder, shrugging, shifting posture and movement of the head, hands, arms, or legs. So if you ever tell me, Pastor, I appreciated that sermon. Those are the things I'm going to be looking for to make sure you're telling the truth. Numerous studies, though, have found that people are overconfident in their perception and judgment. A study at Texas Christian University revealed that no student volunteers were only able to pick true from false statements better than 54% of the time which isn't much better than flipping a coin. Even experts who are trained in this area are failing. Studies found police officers know better than 50-50 in recognizing true and false statements told during recorded outbursts by emotional family members who later were found to have committed horrific crimes. All of this to say it is really, really difficult to discern truth from falsehood. Case in point, I want to put a picture on the screen here for you. Now you tell me which is which. It's not so easy, is it? Now there are a number of tests you can do to determine the difference between fool's gold and genuine gold. Real gold is metal while fool's gold is a mineral. Real gold doesn't have an odor, while fool's gold has a kind of a sulfurous sort of smell to it. Uh, real gold shines whether there's light or not. Fool's gold only if it's under a, a direct light source. And the, the telltale sign is uh, a magnet. A magnet will attract fool's gold. It will not attract real gold. So you have to, you have to touch it, smell it, perform experiments on it, and observe it in different settings to determine whether it's a genuine or a fake, right? It, it takes great diligence. What John is saying is that this is exactly what we as Christians should be doing with false teachers. The word used in verse 1 when he says we should test the spirits, this word for test, it means to closely scrutinize or to make a critical examination of something to determine genuineness. Here's what this means. Any teaching that you or I hear from a purportedly Christian source, it's your responsibility, not just mine as your pastor, it's your responsibility to test it, 
to determine whether it is true, to, to put it under the microscope, so to speak, to do your research, compare it closely with the words of Scripture, right, to see whether the truth and what Scripture says, what, what, this, what you have heard, the claims, whether they are in alignment. Every quote-unquote Christian book that you read, every quote-unquote Christian song that you sing, every quote-unquote Christian preacher that you watch on TV needs to be weighed carefully to determine whether what they're teaching is genuine. Practically, here's what this might look like. Before you read a Christian book, quote-unquote Christian book, or buy one or grab one off of the, the library shelf, do a little bit of research. Who is the author? Who's the publisher? What are their qualifications? Do they have qualifications? Also, make use of the ministry leaders at your church. Pastor, elders, Sunday school teachers. We're here for that specific reason, to, to help you figure this out. You know, sometimes, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself here, but I'm 99.9% .9 sure that is not the case. We get lazy as Christians. I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking more spiritually, particularly mentally. Because the reality is it's so much easier to just pull any old book off the shelf, crack it open, and be like, yeah, this has the word Jesus in it. It should be good. Right? It's much easier to blindly accept things than to do the hard work of looking into them. According to John, though, what we believe teach and confess matters. It matters a whole lot. Spiritual naivety isn't just harmless, it is in fact a sin. Satan is, after all, the father of lies. This is why John says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Now, I don't have to tell you that there are no shortage of false teachers in our world today. John says as much in verse 1. He says, there are many false prophets who have gone out into the world. And what are, what are the marks of these false prophets? Well, John is pretty clear on that one, too. He says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is from God. And every spirit that does not confess, Jesus is not from God. It all comes down to this. What does this person, this source, this, this book, this song, this teacher, this, this preacher, this Bible study, whatever it is, what does this person believe and confess about Jesus? Right? That right there, that is the litmus test. Now, easier said than done, right? We don't get the luxury of having a one-on-one -on -one interview with the people who, with the content creators and the authors and, and every single person who, you know, puts out the content to, to sit down with them and to determine what their actual beliefs are. And as far as I know, at least what I've encountered, there's never an asterisk next to the author's name that reassures us, oh, and by the way, don't worry, this guy's beliefs about Jesus, they all line up well. Right? It's not so obvious. And this is why we have to test and scrutinize carefully. As Jesus commands us in Matthew 10, he says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. 
we need to exercise diligence because false teaching is rarely obvious. It's rarely front and center. And there's never a disclaimer on the front cover. And your friends never tell you, hey, have you read the new book by that new false teacher? Boy, he sure knows what he's talking about, doesn't he? Instead, it's sneaky, hard to detect, and masquerades as the truth. So what are some red flags to look for? What are some things that should trigger the bright red flashing warning signs in our brains to help us discern truth from lies? Well, for starters, if they avoid the use of traditional Christian biblical language, that's a red flag right there. If traditional biblical Christian vocabulary, if you listen closely to the words that they're saying and you listen for more than just one message or one page of the book and you notice as you're doing this that words like sin, guilt, salvation, redemption, righteousness, forgiveness, eternal life, right? These words that Scripture is replete with, if those words are entirely absent, you may have a false teacher on your hands. If their messages are purely motivational and inspirational, if the point is you can do it instead of you can't do it, and that's why you need Jesus, big difference there, you may have a false teacher on your hands. If their preaching is more about emotion than the objective reality of Christianity, you may have a false teacher on your hands. If their messages are more about what you need to do for God rather than what He has done for you, if that's where the spotlight is, you may have a false teacher on your hands. If they draw more attention to themselves than Jesus, you may have a false teacher on your hands. If they're more about self-improvement than dependence upon Christ, you may have a false teacher on your hands. As one pastor very sadly but I think accurately noted, he says, most sermons today are less about Christ crucified than the sinner improved. You can go to the next slide there, Stan, we've got that. Quote, I think that's, that's very true. And the Apostle Paul says, I resolved to know nothing except Christ crucified, but, but rather than, than focus and spotlight Jesus, we would rather fixate upon self-improvement because at heart, we're narcissistic. Most preaching today in, in many churches is as Christian Smith calls it, moralistic, therapeutic deism. There's a $10 word for you. He wrote a great book about it. Look it up and, and read it. It's very readable and it's well worth it. But basically what he means is that the message of most preaching today is simply that God wants us to be good, nice, and fair to each other, and he just wants everyone to be happy. Completely harmless, right? That's what most, most is a strong term, but, but that's what a prevalent message 
in many of our churches today. Another red flag, if they only affirm but never challenge your beliefs and preconceptions, you may have a false teacher on your hands. If their language is primarily therapeutic rather than theological, all about helping you cope with stress and giving you another spiritual caffeine boost to kind of get you through your day, rather than reminding you of your moment-by-moment need for a Savior, may have a false teacher on your hands. And by that standard, these false teachers, or antichrists, as John calls them, are everywhere. And he mentioned them earlier in chapter 2. In fact, the only occurrences in the New Testament of this word antichrist are in First and Second John. As far as the eye can see, the spirit of the antichrist is everywhere, in the world around us, but also and most damningly, in our own hearts. See, we deny Christ not just with our lips, but with our desires and inner attitudes. I think the truth is, if we're honest with ourselves, we would prefer a Jesus who just wants to make us happy, rather than a Jesus who tells us the hard truth about ourselves that we are utterly helpless and in need of rescue. But in verse 4, there's a dramatic shift in tone. It's almost as if John is saying, look, okay, here is all the bad news that I've given to you, and now I'm going to give you the good news in all of its unfiltered glory. Here it is, little children... By the way, when he says little children, this is a belittling thing. It's, it's like a, a father speaking lovingly to his children. This is how John characterizes his relationship between the churches. Little children, you are not, excuse me, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You are from God. In other words, if you are a Christian, you belong to Him. Heart and flesh and soul. In baptism, you were marked with your new identity, as Paul says in Galatians 3.27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves. You have put on Christ. So if you are a believing, baptized child of God... You have been clothed in Christ. You wear Jesus wherever you go. You are no longer defined by your past mistakes, by the skeletons in your closet, or even by your greatest achievements. Instead, you are defined by your relationship with God. And you are His beloved son or daughter, made possible by His death at the cross, to pay for your sins and to adopt you. As Paul says in Romans 3.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You have overcome 
is what John tells us. Now, the tense here is really important. This is just kind of a side note, but I think it's important enough to address. Whenever you're reading your Bible, whenever you're reading Scripture, and this is old hat for some of you maybe, and I get that, but it's good to remind ourselves. When you're reading Scripture, you come across a verb, ask yourself, is this past, present, or future? Like, what does it say? Is this something that's going to happen? Has it already happened? Is it in the process of happening right now? Because depending on what you, how you answer that, is going to affect the way you understand that passage, right? The authors wrote these books deliberately, specifically using words and phrases and tenses, just the way that any author would when they're writing a book. So I encourage you to, to pay attention to that. Because here he says you have overcome. And in Greek, this word overcome, it's in the perfect tense, which just means that it's a completed action whose consequences are ongoing. Right? It's something that is, is done, it has a definite stop, but then its consequences, the consequences of that action are continuing. So a more literal translation would be to say that we have come, overcome, and continue to overcome now, 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 each and every moment. Because of Jesus, victory has already been won, victory over sin, death, and the devil, victory over everything wrong in our world and in our hearts, victory over all the sources of pain that, that we can't always identify, much less overcome. Even in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of your internal wrestling match, even if you feel like you are fighting for your life just to get through the day, even in that moment, friends, you have already overcome. That's the reality. Not because you are an overcomer, but because Jesus overcame. And due to your close association with Jesus, right, you are in Christ. Because of that, you have overcome too. He did all of the work. We simply believe and receive the benefits. This might sound strange, but, but stick with me with this illustration for a moment. It's kind of like you receive the gold medal before the championship game has even been played. Like you're given the award before the game is done. You know what the outcome is even before you start because you are on Team Jesus. And you know who wins in the end. You wear that jersey around wherever you go. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what battles you're fighting. I don't know what pain you're feeling. But I do know this. The answer, the ultimate answer, is not to fight harder, but to trust the results to the victor. One of my favorite Bible verses, I don't have any tattoos, but if I ever got a tattoo, this is the one I would do, Exodus 14, 14. In this moment, the Israelites are being pursued by the Egyptian army, right? They were slaves in Egypt for many, many years Moses leads them out of Egypt, and they're going to come into the promised land eventually. 
But before they do that, they, they run up against the Red Sea and, and they kind of panic and they're fearful because the Egyptian army is, is chasing them from one side and, and they're hemmed in on both sides. And so the people are scared and they, they cry out and they complain to Moses. And Moses responds to the people's fear with this remarkable promise. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Right? The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. And with that, he parts the sea and leads the Israelites safely through on dry ground. God protected them from all harm. You see, friends, that same promise is true for you today, too. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. He will fight your battles for you. He has overcome. All that's left is for us to trust. As we wrap up this morning, we can summarize everything we've discussed. I'll just put it in, in three simple points here. Number one, false teachers are everywhere. Number two, therefore test, test, and test again. And number three, God overcomes all falsehood with the truth of Jesus, right? He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, I'll let John himself have the closing words this morning. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. God is bigger, stronger, and truer than anyone or anything. May you hold fast to him. And may this promise, little by little, day by day, through baby steps even, may this promise capture more and more territory in your own hearts, even as you re-enter the fray. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastor K-J-O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.